Father, thank you for... God, thank you for this church. God, thank you that as we are gathering here this morning, Lord, as we um, look at the processional cross and as it comes into the midst of us, your daughters and your sons, and we lift high the gospel, so we sit under it and its authority over us, God, would you open our eyes this morning? Just like Bartimaeus, would you give us eyes to see what he did so clearly? Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. On August 28th of 2002, uh, you and I, if you've been here since then, we started a journey with the gospel writer Mark. That Sunday, we, uh, we looked at one verse only, and it was his very first, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the very Son of God. From there, we spent a few weeks looking at the unique authority that Jesus had over nature, demons, diseases, and even death, how he spoke with authority on rest. He made a meal for thousands out of a few uh, fish and some loaves of bread. And then we took this glorious break during Advent and Christmas tide. Then on January 8th, we jumped back into the book of Mark a few weeks ago with Peter's confession which was the hinge of his book. Then last week, we heard about the fumbles of the disciples, the same ones that had been eyewitnesses to all of those aforementioned miracles, by the way. And now this week, we are pulling up on the last of the recorded miracles in Mark's gospel. And unless we miss it, this is happening right before Jesus' Passion Week, days before he will be crucified. Here is where we are in graphic form. Don't be distracted by the incredible graphic design that is Britt Carpenter's graphic skills. Um, but what you're going to see is we've been in this uh, we've been on this journey in the Book of Mark, and now we're getting to the very final piece. His last week on the earth. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10 as we head to Jerusalem. Verse 46, it'll be here on the screen for you. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside and he was begging. For context, Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the known world, and it was the place where pilgrims crossed over the Jordan River on their trek up to Jerusalem. And these pilgrims, including Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to the holy city for Passover. Fun fact from Jericho, it's 15 miles, and you've got about 3,300 feet of elevation change. This is where some Psalms of Ascent would come in. Blind Bart, we don't know this for sure, but Blind Bart may always sit here, but if not, uh, if this is not his usual spot where he gathers alms, from passers-by, then he was a very enterprising man because this was the week of the year to ask for them because all the pilgrims were on their way up to Jerusalem, the holy city. Verse 47, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A few things stand out pretty quickly. Bart had heard about Jesus. And whatever he'd heard was really exciting. 
exciting enough for him to just start shouting out. My guess is he's heard of Jesus' miraculous abilities to heal people with physical ailments. And I, uh, I get this, I think. Um, when I was in college, one of my six years there, um, uh, one, of my, one of my friends that I grew up with, JR, he, uh, he was on a rope swing, and he was going to do like a back dive, and his leg got caught, and as he was dis- like coming back towards shore, his leg didn't release, and he landed in about two feet of water, and he was paralyzed from kind of the chest down. Uh, and it was, um, I was going to head back to university. Instead, I felt like the Lord was calling me to stay with him for a year uh, back home. And it was a really spiritually formative year for me. Um, I was desperate for God to heal JR. And I was confident he was going to do it. In fact, I made these little uh, cards that I, I made hundreds of them, and it just had a picture of him, and it said, pray for JR. And so there was hundreds and hundreds of high schoolers and college students praying for JR. And one uh, night, I had this dream that was as real as reality itself. And in it, I am, um, I'm imploring the Lord Jesus to heal JR. And JR's in front of me. And all of a sudden, he gets up. And my imploring of the Lord Jesus was like this guttural, like, please, God, let him walk again. Please save him. And he did. And I, I came back into consciousness. Uh, my, my, my shirt and my sheets were wet with tears of joy. And then I realized that I was at my house. And JR was still in his hospital bed. What I remember so distinctly was this like guttural moment of there's only one person who can help JR, and it's Jesus of Nazareth. And that's how I think Bartimaeus is reacting here. So he's shouting like super loudly. But that's not the most curious bit here. Instead, I think it's what he's shouting that's the most important. Here's what he could have shouted. Hey, healer, please come over here. Hey, Mr. Miracle, I need some time with you. Jesus of Nazareth, I'd like an audience. Hey, Messiah, are you going to do one of those miracle thingies? All appropriate. Instead, he uses the title Son of David. Have mercy. But Jesus isn't David's son, is he? He's Joseph's, sort of. So why this title? Does blind Bartimaeus see something that no one else can? I think so. What he's doing is he's employing a royal title. David being the greatest king in all of Israel's history. David being the one from whose lineage the Messiah would come. And so what Bartimaeus is seeing is he's connecting this deep Christological connection to Jesus, to the Davidic Messiah that was promised. So yes, he's shouting. But, verse 48, many who heard him rebuked him. Stop yelling. What are you doing? And instead, he shouts all the more, son of David, have mercy upon me. I love that. Bart may be physically blind, but he sees crystal clear this connection between Jesus of Nazareth and the Messiah who would come. 
In fact, it's the promised Messiah from Jeremiah 23. You'll see this here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, listen up, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Bartimaeus saw the clear connection here and he also saw the clear connection to Jeremiah 33, the same promised one. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteousness. Nearly identical. It's the very same promise one of Ezekiel 34. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, listen, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. This is the very same promised one from Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In this moment, along a roadside, Bartimaeus sees the connection between these prophetic voices from hundreds of years prior and this Jesus from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter. Jews uh, believed that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. And Bartimaeus seems to fall right in line with that belief. But did you know that Jews also believed that illness and disability were a punishment from God. Because that person had committed sins. You hear it in John chapter 9 when the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so the works of God would be displayed in him. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, shunned by the nation of Israel, was told to be quiet. Because in their not-so-humble opinion, he did not deserve to have Jesus listen to him. He didn't deserve an audience with this man. But, as we know, this king's kingdom is an upside-down one. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, well, call him over. So they did, and they said, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And so Bartimaeus throws his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet, and he comes to Jesus at which point Jesus asks him very clearly, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, I'd like to see. It's a bit of a Captain Obvious moment, we think. Rabbi, I, I want to see with my eyes. And the irony here is that Bartimaeus is the one who sees the most clearly. He's got 7-7 seven, seven vision which is better than 2020 if you haven't been to the ophthalmologist. Optometrist? Shoot. Clearly I need to go. 
so ironic that this blind man sees so clearly. To which Jesus says, well, then go. Your faith has healed you. And just like that, he receives his sight and he gets up and he follows Jesus along the road. I think that the healing of Bartimaeus's eyesight is important. But I don't think it's Mark's sole focus in this passage. We already knew by this point that Jesus had miraculous powers to reverse disease. Um, This is now the 11th physical healing that we've seen in Mark's gospel. It's really cool. In fact, I bet it was super cool to Bartimaeus because now he can finally see again. I put myself back in those days with JR. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it would have just been so incredible to see him just get up from his bed, right? But the physical healing is not where I want us to focus this morning. It's also really cool that uh, Bartimaeus just gets up immediately and starts following Jesus along the road. And this immediate move to follow is a wonderful primer in discipleship, but I don't want to focus there either. Instead, I want us to focus on the next few verses, which if you have your Bible open is the next chapter. Because I think the next few verses help us see very clearly what Mark was putting down because Bart's connection to Jesus and the messianic prophecies become crystal clear as Jesus marches triumphantly into Jerusalem, the last week of his life. You probably know this story. Jesus sends two disciples ahead. He says, hey, go get a colt that's never been ridden. And here we are. We pick back up in verse 8 of chapter 11. It should be on the screen for you. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Close your eyes for a second. Put yourself there on that road. There are people with coats that they've just thrown on the ground. It's very dusty. Um, There are branches that they're throwing. And this throng of people are in a festal shouting cacophony thing. And they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who's coming in the name of the Lord, the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna, and the highest. And with that, we're back, chapter 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Some really important details for us to look at with the triumphal entry narrative. By riding a donkey, Jesus fulfills Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he's endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Contrary to what we think now, um, this was actually a, a kingly act for Jesus to do this. It identifies him with the royal line of David and partly because Uh, in David's reign, it was a kingly, it was a royal animal. Not so much by the time he's doing it here. Some scholars even think that the people were engaged in 
uh, this kind of antiphonal shout back and forth. If you're on the men's retreat and you were making the uh, ascent up to Church Mountain, you understand a little bit better what this might have been like. The people are uh, in a state of exuberance. They're shouting one to another. They're shouting very significant things with Jesus right in the middle of them. And for the first time in Mark's gospel, guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, shh. He just lets it happen. These things that you are shouting, whether or not you know what you're saying, are true indeed. Mark says that some spread their cloaks on the ground, probably in royal deference. Others spread branches. John adds in his gospel that these branches were palm leaves. Here's an interesting detail. The palm branches represented their nationalistic, at this point, 2,000 years ago, their nationalistic desire to be delivered because some 150 years prior, the same thing happened when Simon Maccabeus delivered Jerusalem. They put palm branches down. Why? Because he had delivered Jerusalem. In fact, the palm frond became the symbol or the logo of the second Maccabean revolt. Really important detail here. Last one, Hosanna was a customary greeting at Passover. But here it seems like the crowd, whether or not they know it, they're using its literal meaning, which is save or save us. Now, we don't know for sure, but my guess is Bartimaeus had a really crazy emotional week. Think of his emotions, okay? He's blind. He's hoping to get some money. Passover's coming. He's got the the worshipers, uh, the pilgrims are coming to the holy city. He hears that Jesus is coming. He starts shouting like crazy. Everybody tells him to hush. He doesn't. He keeps shouting, and then the one who's not supposed to have an audience with a rabbi gets an audience, and then immediately he's healed. He can see. Now he's walking along with Jesus and his disciples and this entire crowd that's on festival, that's on holiday. If we were to chart this emotion, it would be as high as it gets, exuberant joy. But almost no one in the crowd that day understands what's coming on Thursday, do they? They are all here. In a few days' time, they're not going to be here. Do you know why? They don't understand what Thursday will bring. Listen to what they were saying. Hosanna, save us. This Jesus in our midst that's on the same road with us is the one that was coming in the name of the Lord. This man that we see with our eyes, especially Bartimaeus, is the fulfillment of the coming kingdom of our father David, which means the righteous branch of Jeremiah 23 and the shoot from the stump of Jesse from 11 is finally here. This is Isaiah 23. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Listen. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Think about the geopolitical context that they're in. 
They're in this festal shout. There is this promised one, so they think. But all around them, they see uh, uh, residue of the Roman occupation that they're under. They know that there's this puppet boy king named Herod. Herod, by the way, is not righteous, he is not wise, and he is neither just. Think about their emotions. Oh my gosh. Do you see what they're looking for? They're looking for the second David. This is the thing that's been prophesied about. This is the moment in our national history when we will finally be delivered. So at this point, it looks like that he's here. Joy is overflowing. It's the max of the highest emotion, whatever that is. We'll call it exuberant joy. By Thursday evening, Friday morning, though, it's beyond clear that this Jesus, whom they've just ushered in with their shouts, he's not the second David they were expecting. Talk about an emotional roller coaster. Highest high to whatever the word is for disappointed 100x. Whatever that emotion is, that's where they go. All in the course of a few days. Um, I, I imagine in that moment that Bart uh, and many from that triumphal crowd were sitting there wondering, I'm talking about Thursday and Friday of that week, how did they get it so wrong? Like, how had they missed it? It clearly seemed like it was the time. We thought we were about to be freed from oppression. The Romans kicked out. The puppet king removed. This is the re-inauguration of the glory days of Israel and the temple. And right now in this moment, at the end of the week, they're feeling like they completely missed it. Their festal shouts were actually false. but they weren't actually wrong. Neither Bart nor the triumphal crowd. This Jesus who would be before Pilate on Friday was indeed the one who came in the name of the Lord. He was indeed the fulfillment of God's promise to continue David's line. He was the savior they were crying out for when they shouted Hosanna. But he didn't run his kingdom like they expected him to. This was the last few days of his earthly life. The king that they expected a few days prior would be one that's victorious and one who could execute judgment and rule and righteousness and ultimately their salvation. But this king that we know would be victorious. He would save them, but he would do it by way of descent. And he would descend so far as to the grave. For as he said in chapter 10, 45, which is just before we met Blind Bart, by the way, he says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Will you and I drink the cup that the son of David drank? 
Will we serve like he did? Will we descend to the glory of God? That is the life of a disciple of this Messiah. And as he said in 1043 to the Goober disciples, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Our royal archetype is the suffering servant, King Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you didn't hush the crowds that day. Jesus, thank you that um, you went nearly your entire earthly life without receiving proper laud and praise. And that that is uh, the blueprint for us. God, may we um, follow your example. May we not seek the places of honor at the table. May we seek not to be served, but rather to serve others. Lord, would you embed this in the DNA of this church? That we would be women and men of great humility. Lord, the humility that comes from knowing exactly who we are. Who we are in you, and that that frees us from ego and power and all the things that the world tells us to pursue. So, Lord, that we can humbly serve each other and our neighbors as you did, as you showed us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would seal this over us and within us. In Jesus' name, amen.